Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 284. Today's big Bible question is God's love and favor unconditional? Well, a most wonderful Tuesday to you, dear friends. Some interesting Bible readings today. In 1 Kings 9, we find that Solomon might be a bit of a cheapskate, (laughs) awarding his faithful friend King Hiram of Tyre 20 worthless towns for all of the work in wood that Tyre had done and provided for Solomon. In Psalms 90, we find out the rough lifespan of people during Moses' time was around 70, maybe 80 years. In Ezekiel 39, we see what might just be an apocalyptic vision of the last days. And in our Ephesians 6 passage, we are instructed in spiritual warfare, resisting the enemy and standing firm. Now, given the opportunity, I would almost always focus on spiritual warfare um, for today from Ephesians 6. But it's just been like a couple of weeks ago that we did a podcast called What are the Weapons of Christian Warfare? And uh, if you want to link to that podcast, all you got to do is come to our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. That's BibleReadingPodcast.com. And by the way, while you're there, why don't you leave us a review on iTunes? It's actually been quite a while since we got one of those, and it helps us reach other people. But we just talked about spiritual warfare. And as much as I love talking about that topic... Today, our focus is actually going to be in the first Kings passage. Now, a bit of a warning. We are biting off a big theological chunk today. This is a 1,500-word article that I wrote that forms the basis of a 25-ish minute podcast. That is not nearly enough time or words to deeply discuss the nature of the love of God. So consider this episode a bare and basic intro. To go deep into this subject would take hours, so please allow me to challenge you with the question we are discussing today. Answer it yourself through your own diligent study of the Word of God, because honestly, I suspect my answer to today's big Bible question is not quite the answer you might expect. Now, something very important is brought to light in 1 Kings chapter 9, God's conditional favor. Solomon is told that God will always keep one of his descendants on the throne if they are faithful, but, that's a big but, if Solomon and his descendants turn away from God and worship other gods, then God's favor will turn away also. And looking back in history, we see that that's what happened and God's favor turned away. So God said in 1 Kings 9, 6 and 7, he said to Solomon, if you or your sons turn away from following me and do not keep my commands, my statutes that I have set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and bow and worship to them, I will cut off Israel from the land I gave them, and I will reject the temple I have sanctified for my name. Well, that's exactly what happened. And we can see even the very beginnings of that drifting happening already in 1 Kings 9. So let's go read that full passage and then consider unconditional love and the Greek word agape and God's faithfulness. Does the Bible teach what we think it does. 1 Kings chapter 9 verse 1. When Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all that Solomon desired to do, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, just as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and petition you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple you have built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. 
As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked with a heart of integrity and in what is right, doing everything I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised your father David. You will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. If... You or your sons turn away from following me and do not keep my commands, my statutes that I have set before you. And if you go and serve other gods and bow and worship to them, I will cut off Israel from the land I gave them and I will reject the temple I have sanctified for my name. Israel will become an object of scorn and ridicule among all the peoples. Though this temple is now exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and will scoff, and they will say, Why did the Lord do this to the land in this temple? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of the land of Egypt. They held on to other gods and bowed in worship to them and served them. Because of this, the Lord brought all this ruin on them. At the end of twenty years, during which Solomon had built the two houses, the Lord's temple and the royal palace, King Hiram of Tyre, having supplied him with sight, cedar, and cypress logs, and gold for his every wish, King Solomon gave Hiram twenty towns in the land of Galilee. So Hiram went out from Tyre to look over the towns that Solomon had given them, but he was not pleased with them. So he said, What are these towns you've given me, my brother? So he called them the land of Kabul, which means nothing, as they are still called today. Now Hiram had sent the king 9,000 pounds of gold. This is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon had imposed to build the Lord's temple, his own palace, the supporting terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, and Hatsor Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gezer. He then burdened it, killed the Canaanites who lived in the city, and gave it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. Then Solomon rebuilt Gezer, lower Beth Haran, Baalath, Tamar, in the wilderness of Judah. All the storage cities that belonged to Solomon, the chariot cities, the cavalry cities, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, Lebanon, or anyone else in the land of his dominion. As for all the peoples who remained of the Amorites, the Hethites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites who were not Israelites, their descendants who remained in the land after them, those whom the Israelites were unable to destroy completely, Solomon imposed forced labor on them. It is still this way today. But Solomon did not consign the Israelites to slavery. They were soldiers, his servants, his commanders, his captains and commanders of his chariots and his cavalry. These were the deputies who were over Solomon's work, 550 who supervised the people doing the work. Pharaoh's daughter moved from the city of David to the house that Solomon had built for her. He then built the terraces. Three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord, and he burned incense with them in the Lord's presence, so he completed the temple. King Solomon put together a fleet of ships at Etzion Geber, which is near Elioth, on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. With the fleet, Hiram sent his servants, experienced seamen, along with Solomon's servants. They went to Ophir and acquired gold there, 16 tons, and delivered it to Solomon. That's a lot of gold. Well, in this passage, we see God make a promise to Solomon that is repeated over and over in the scriptures, the same kind of promise. God promising to bless and prosper those who are faithful and promising to discipline those who turn away from him. 
Now, this might seem strange to you, and it might not fit into your image of a kindly old grandfather god sitting on his rocking chair, stroking his beard, watching the peoples of the world, and sort of loving them all and laughingly shaking their head, his head at them when they do wrong. But that's not the picture of God we are given in Scripture. Instead, we're given a far more passionate picture of God. Yes, God is love, says 1 John 4, 8, and in other places too. But he is also a jealous God. Consider Exodus 34, where God says, You shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God's name is Jealous, and he is jealous. How about that? In the Bible, the Bible tells us like over a dozen times that God is jealous. And it's a godly jealousy. It's not the kind of jealousy when you see your girlfriend walking uh, or saying hello to another guy or some something like that. That's a totally different thing. But God is jealous. And that means that there are massive consequences when people are unfaithful to God, as we've seen, as if, you, if you've been with this podcast for even a few weeks, and as we see in God's words to Samuel here. Now, agape, let's talk about that word. That's a word that lots and lots of preachers talk about, so much so that uh, it's probably, almost certainly, one of the two or three best-known Greek words among most Christians. I used to pastor a precious church for over 10 years called Agape. It was always funny to get phone calls at Agape, especially from like salesmen and people like that, uh, because they almost never knew how to pronounce Agape. Sometimes it would be, hello, is this Agape Baptist Church? Or is this Agape or Agape? (laughs) I mean, I heard so many pronunciations. It was funny to chuckle about that. I'm not worried about the pronunciation too much. But the meaning of the word is worth considering. Many, probably most, nearly all Christians believe that agape means something like either unconditional love or God's love or, you know, something related to that. Oddly enough, this is another one of those preacher myths we have talked about for quite some time. And it is pretty easily dispelled by a quick look at the use of the word agape in the Bible. In fact, consider these four passages. John 3.19 says, This is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Luke 11.43, Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees, you love, or agape, the front seat in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplace. What about 2 Timothy 4.10? Paul writes, Because Demas has deserted me since he agaped or loved the present world, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Or how about John 12.42 and 43? Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they agaped or loved human praise more than praise from God. So that's just four of the many uses of agape in the Greek there, all translated as love in the English, and none of those words there in any of those verses mean unconditional love or God's love or really anything like that. And there are several more examples of that. I actually find that the Greek use of agape in the Bible is very, very similar to the 
English use of the word love. Sometimes the word is used in the Bible in situations of great weight and great import, and other times in a much less weighty and godly way. Sort of like if I were to say, I love French vanilla ice cream. That's not a very strong statement. But if you were to say, God loves you, that's obviously a much stronger and weightier statement. So the word agape in the Greek, in the Bible, doesn't actually mean unconditional love. It just kind of means love, love. It's really so similar to the way we use our word love. But you might be asking the question, hang on now, doesn't God love people unconditionally? Well, that's kind of a complicated question, actually. Would it be kind of squirrely of me to say, and would it remind you of a politician, if I said, it all depends on what your definition of unconditional love is? So let's consider some biblical truths and see how they illuminate our question. First, let's think about how God speaks of himself and speaks of his love. For instance, Exodus 20, the second commandment, verse 4. Exodus 20, verse 4, God says, Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above, or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow in worship to them, and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the Father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. So what do we learn there? Well, God is jealous. He brings the consequences of sin onto multiple generations, but he's also gracious and compassionate, showing faithful love to a thousand generations. Now, does that sound like unconditional love? Well, it doesn't exactly to me, but it sounds like a kind of faithful love that is strongly weighted in the direction of compassion and mercy. Now, I think it's very significant that the consequences for those who rebel and sin against God might reach down to three or four generations, but the mercy of God reaches down to a thousand generations. Now, if you're doing the math, that's at least 250 times more powerful, which is probably making more out of a non-mathematical statement than I really should do. But consider passages like Psalm 103.11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. Or Psalm 103.17, but from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him, and his righteousness towards the grandchildren. So where is the faithfulness and the fullness of God's love directed? Well, it's towards those who fear him. So consider this contrast between two New Testament passages. It's almost, not quite, almost a paradox. But when we take these two passages together, I think this gives us a really full answer to our question. It's not a simple answer, but it's a full answer to the question. Does God love his people unconditionally? I think the answer to that question can be found in the tension between, I don't know, say Romans 11.22 and 2 Timothy 2.11-13. So Romans 11.22 says, Therefore consider God's kindness and severity. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you 
if, big if there, if you remain in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Or 2 Timothy 2, 11-13. Paul, same Paul, writes, This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Mm-hmm. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So, ponder that. Let's close with the fullness of the gospel and the most famous Bible verse there is. Does God love the world? Absolutely. John 3.16 and many other verses affirm beyond question that God loves everybody. Is God love? You better believe it. And Scripture tells us that time and time again in different ways. God is love and the one who remains in love is their lifestyle remains in God. Now, does this mean that all will enter into eternal bliss with God? That his love will rescue everybody, even those who refuse and reject him? Absolutely not, as we see when we continue to read John 3.16. Let's actually start with John 3.14, where Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So, my friends, believe on Jesus, be saved. Take his good news to a lost and dying world in desperate need of hope and rescue. Well, let's continue our reading with Psalm chapter 90, verse 1, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, Return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by like a few hours of the night. You end their lives. They sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all of our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. What an honest psalm. Ezekiel chapter 39 verse 1. As for you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, this is what the Lord God says. Look. I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around, drive you on, and lead you up from the remotest parts of the north. I will bring you against the mountains of Israel, then I will knock your bow from your left hand and make your arrows drop from your right hand. 
You, all your troops, and the peoples who are with you will fall on the mountains of Israel. I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and to the wild animals. You will fall on the open field, for I have spoken. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will send fire against Magog and those who live securely on the coasts and islands. They will know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known among my people Israel and will no longer allow it to be profaned. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Yes, it is coming and it will happen. This is the declaration of the Lord God. This is the day I have spoken about. Then the inhabitants of Israel's cities will go out, kindle fires, and burn the weapons, the small and large shields, the bows and arrows, the clubs and spears. For seven years they will use them to make fires. They will not gather wood from the countryside or cut it down from the forest, for they will use the weapons to make fires. They will take the loot from those who looted them and plunder those who plundered them. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Now on that day I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the traveler's valley east of the sea. It will block those who travel through, for Gog and all his hordes will be buried there, so it will be called Hordes of Gog Valley. The house of Israel will spend seven months burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them, and their fame will spread on the day I display my glory. This is the declaration of the Lord God. They will appoint men on a full-time basis to pass through the land and bury the invaders who remain on the surface of the ground in order to cleanse it. They will make their search at the end of the seven months. When they pass through the land and one of them sees a human bone, he will set up a marker next to it until the barriers have buried it in hordes of Gog Valley. There will even be a city named Hamona there, so they will cleanse the land. Son of man, this is what the Lord God says. Tell every kind of bird and all the wild animals, assemble and come, gather from all around to my sacrificial feast that I am slaughtering for you, a great feast on the mountains of Israel. You will eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the earth's princes, lambs, rams, male goats, and all the fattened bulls of Bashan. You will eat fat until you are satisfied and drink blood until you are drunk at my sacrificial feast that I have prepared for you. At my table you will eat your fill of horses and riders, of mighty men and all the warriors. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will display my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see the judgment I have executed and the hand I have laid on them. From that day forward, the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God, and the nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile on account of their iniquity, because they dealt unfaithfully with me. Therefore I hid my face from them and handed them over to their enemies so that they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and transgressions, and I hid my face from them. So this is what the Lord God says, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have compassion on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They will feel remorse for their disgrace and all the unfaithfulness they committed against me when they live securely in their land with no one to frighten them. When I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the countries of their enemies, I will demonstrate my holiness through them in the sight of many nations. They will know that I am the Lord their God when I regather them to their own land after having exiled them among the nations. I will leave none of them behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, in the English Standard Version. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you may also know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, in love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen and amen. Good day, friends, and Godspeed.